I hope that you will join me in the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 7, as we look together at verses 1 to 7. There is no more significant passage of Scripture in the whole Old Testament. History itself hinges on what God says in these verses. And in order to know who Jesus is and why Jesus came and what Jesus came to do, we must get a handle on what is happening in 2 Samuel chapter 7. These are vitally important verses for understanding both redemptive history and our own lives and what our lives have to do with what God is doing in the world. But understanding what happens here begins by looking at King David. And King David lived an impactful life. And I think many of us want to live an impactful life. We want to live a life that matters, that has significance, that will be remembered. And when we find David here, he is thinking about his legacy and how he will be remembered. But it ends up being a swing and a miss. He badly misunderstands what God would want him to do. And he badly misunderstands what it means to live an impactful life. And so we have much to learn from the example of King David here in 2 Samuel 7. But I invite you to join with me in an open Bible as we read it together. After the king was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him. He said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. But that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? David wants to do something for God. He wants to live an impactful life. But here's what he misunderstands, and here's what we need to understand today. God will not measure the impact of your life by what you have done for him, but by what you allow him to do in you and through you. God will not measure the impact of your life by what you do for him or for anyone else or for yourself for that matter, but rather by what you allow him 
to do in you and through you. That is what it means to live an impactful life as defined by the Spirit of God in Scripture. And so let's see what David needed to learn here, and let's see how that plays out in our own lives as we seek to make an impact. The first observation we need to make here is that God says yes to David's motives, but no to his project. He says yes to David's motives, but no to his project. Look at verses 1 and 2. It says, after the king, the king. Notice it's not David, it's not the ruler, it's the king. David is in power. He is on his throne. And he's settled in his palace. And the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him. He is experiencing prosperity He has a magnificent palace built out of cedar wood that had been donated from the king in Lebanon. And he has peace around him. And so as he sits back in his prosperity, he says to Nathan, the prophet, just as King Saul had Samuel the prophet, David has Nathan beside him. He says to Nathan, look, Look at me, here I'm sitting in comfort in my palace, and the ark of God, symbolizing the presence of God with his people, is in a tent. It's surrounded by curtains. And what is implied by what David says is, this is not right. There's something wrong with this picture. And in part, we can understand where David's coming from, because what Does any institution do when times of prosperity come? They build, right? Churches do this as well. During good times, we start thinking, well, how can we expand? We need a family life center. What can we build? And every college knows that if you want to attract attention and show that big things are happening and better things are happening than cranes and scaffolding, Building symbolizes success. So that's partly driving what David is doing here. I need to build a temple. I need to leave a legacy to make an impact. And so there's some ego here. But by and large, God doesn't call him out for his ego. He seems to affirm his motives. He seems to affirm that what David wants to do is for the glory of God. And God doesn't question his motives. He says, yes, that's good that you want to honor me. That's good that you care about my presence. But God says no to his project. He tells David, you are not the one to build a temple for me. Why is that? Part of it has to do with God showing David the kind of God that he is. 
As the Apostle Paul explained to some brilliant philosophers in the city of Athens in Acts chapter 17, verse 24, he goes around and he sees all kinds of altars and temples to various gods and goddesses, and he sees that in every way they are very religious, and he tries to correct a serious misunderstanding that they have. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. You need to understand that the God who has revealed himself in Jesus Christ is a God who doesn't need anyone or anything. He is uniquely independent and self-existent. He is self-sufficient and self-sustaining. He needs no one and nothing. He doesn't need David to do anything for him. And we're not prepared to understand what it means to live an impactful life until we recognize God doesn't need you and he doesn't need me. God can do as he pleases, with or without us. And we need to be humbled by that truth. But how often do we justify what we want to do by saying, well, our heart was in the right place. Our motives were pure. Well, he had good intentions. And we can rationalize all kinds of projects by saying we did it for the right reasons. But what God is showing David in these verses and what the Holy Spirit is showing us now is that we need to be humbled by this truth. Your best will never be good enough with God. My best, my very, very best efforts will never be good enough for God. Why? Because God is holy. Because God is independent. He is self-existent. And he is righteous. But instead of being discouraged by that, we need to be humbled by that and realize that if we are to have an impact, it won't be because we do something for God as though God needed anything from us. God doesn't need any favors from you or from me. If we have an impact, it will be because we desire and we allow God to work in us and through us. That is the measure of an impactful life. But so often, we're like David. And we want to live for the glory of God. And we want to do things for the glory of God. And our motives are pure. And yet, 
It's a swing and a miss. As it was for David. We need to be clear that even though we put to the glory of God on buildings, on stained glass windows, on plaques, on walls, on books, we put it everywhere. Given to the glory of God, right? And we can think, well, that makes it okay because we did it for the right reasons, right? Maybe, maybe not. We can't just stamp to the glory of God on something and think that makes it all okay. No. God does want to be glorified in your life and through your life. And that happens when we allow God to work in us and through us. And so if we think that that gift, whatever it was, somehow makes us more pleasing to God, more deserving of God's favor or love, well, then it's entirely misguided. And there are cathedrals all over the world that have been built for the wrong reasons and in the wrong ways. The motives might have been pure, but God is displeased by the entire project because it wasn't done out of humility or obedience. It's deeply humbling. We need to be very careful that we not only look at our motives and our intentions, but that we also look at our actions. And rather than just say, okay, well, I'm going to try harder. If my best isn't good enough, I'm just going to try harder. That's not the point. You and I are entirely dependent upon the grace of God. We are nothing apart from God. We are entirely dependent upon God's saving grace. We are entirely dependent upon His Spirit working in us to reshape our minds and our hearts after the image of Jesus. And apart from that mighty, holy, and sovereign work of God, we're a mess. And everything we try to do is going to be a swing and a miss. As it was for David. Now let's look at verse 3 and Nathan's response. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. And he gives this hasty and flippant approval. The prophet of God says, Sure, that sounds great. Of course God would be glorified by a temple. Of course God would want that because your motives seem pure, right? Go for it, is what Nathan says. And what we need to see in these verses is that God says yes to this moment, but no to the process. He says yes to this moment. This is the right timing. God is about to do something incredible. But the process by which 
David and Nathan go about understanding what God is doing right now is all wrong. It's a swing and a miss. Valiant effort. But a failure in the end. If it were to stop here. Nathan says, sure. Go for it. And in the night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David. Notice the word of the Lord came to Nathan. We were told earlier in 1 Samuel that the word of the Lord was rare in those days. God was not revealing himself directly to his prophets. But this is a direct word from God for his king through his prophet. And notice, he says, go and tell my servant, David, servant. By calling David his servant, God is putting David in the category of the likes of Abraham and Moses. David is one of his chosen vessels through whom and in whom he is going to work powerfully. And he has great plans for him. And the timing is right. This is it. David is right in thinking this is a unique moment for God's people and for me. We have peace. This is the time to focus on God and the presence of God in our midst. This is the time to focus on worship. But the process is all wrong. And how is it wrong? Because David and Nathan at first merely rely on their own imagination. It just seems to them that this is the right thing to do. It just instinctively seems to them that God would want a temple, that God is displeased by being in this tent and having his ark in this tent. Right? It's obvious. And yet, we need to understand that as fallen sinners, while we do have minds that God has given us and he wants us to exercise our minds, when it comes to our spiritual discernment, we are completely misguided and disordered. And we cannot know what is true unless God shows us what is true. And God is gracious enough to give us a word clearly and directly. But we might wonder, if God wanted to say this to David, why didn't God just reveal himself to David in the middle of the night? Why does he go through Nathan, the prophet? And we might wonder now, okay, I want to live an impactful life. You tell me it's not just about my motives, it's also about my actions and how I live. Okay, well, how do I know what God wants me to do? Fair question. And it's also complicated by the fact that generally God doesn't speak to us this way. We don't hear a voice from the sky. We don't have a vision so what are we to do? How do we know what God wants us to do? Why doesn't God just speak directly to David? Because prior to this point, it seems like David 
has had a pretty direct connection with God. If we are to know what God wants us to do, we need to be willing to listen to the ways that he speaks to us now. And how does he speak to us now? Well, he speaks in a way that tests our obedience and that tests our humility. He tests our obedience because he has given us his word. No, it's not a voice from heaven. The Bible didn't just drop out of the sky magically. We have received the word of God through the prophets and through the apostles. But we have received the word of God. And are we obedient to listen to what God has revealed? Or do we treat it as though it's an ancient book written by people who lived so long ago they have no idea about modern problems and and modern issues, and maybe we can pick up a nugget here or from there, and we can see what fits our modern sensibilities, and we'll take that, but by and large, so much is out of date, and so we just need to kind of push that aside. We may not cut it out of our Bible, but we don't need to read the whole Bible, and we certainly don't need to obey the whole Bible. No, God speaks to David through Nathan to test David's obedience to say, I have revealed my word to Nathan, my prophet. Will you listen to him? Because if he spoke directly to David, well, then there would be no faith in that. There would be no trust. It would be obvious. He tests David's obedience. Will you trust what I have said? He also tests David's humility in the same way that our humility is tested now. God does speak through human beings. Human beings wrote the Bible. And the Bible is interpreted by human beings. And right now, you have to discern from a fellow human being if what I am saying is from God or not. But it's humbling to know that that's how God speaks to his people. That God builds up his church through the preaching of his word done by people, sinful human beings just like you. Now, I'm not a prophet like Nathan, but my job is to faithfully labor in reading, interpreting, and proclaiming what God has said through the prophets and through the apostles. I'm merely a spokesperson, and it's for you with the guidance of the Holy Spirit to discern, is, is he correctly interpreting that or not? Is that from God or not? But we need to be humble enough to realize that's how God speaks. That's how God works. And if you're waiting for some kind of epiphany or some kind of revelation out of the sky, well, you're not obedient and you're not humble. Our prayer should be the one expressed in Psalm 40 by David. In verse 6, having been rescued by God, 
when he waited patiently and cried out to God, he says, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. Is that your desire to do the will of God, to please God by what you say and by how you live. An impactful life is not measured by what you do for God. He doesn't need your sacrifices, but he does want them when they are offered in humility and in faith. He doesn't need our religious acts He doesn't need anything from us. He doesn't need our favors. He doesn't need us, but he wants us when we come to him out of obedience and humility. Are you prepared for God to work in you and through you and thereby live an impactful life? Well, For that to happen, you must be willing to hear what God has said. Do you handle the scriptures like they are the very words of God or not? Now let's look at God's response. He says to David through Nathan, I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. He says, this is the same circumstance as when I rescued my people out of Egypt. I've been working mightily through this ark and through this tent and through my people's worship of me. In this way, it's been good enough. It didn't keep me from rescuing my people out of Egypt. It didn't keep me from saving them from Pharaoh and his chariots. It didn't keep me from providing for my people in the wilderness. It didn't keep me from bringing them into the promised land and rescuing them from their enemies and driving the nations out for them. Hadn't been a problem until now. Why do you think it's a problem all of a sudden. And then in verse 7, wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? God's saying, have I ever said to any of my leaders, you know what would be really nice is a house made out of cedar. That's what I really want. That's what I need. And to modernize that a little bit. Has God ever said, you know what I really want? I want a building with stained glass. That's what I want. I want a nice, clean building with cushion pews. And I, and I want all kinds of, of furniture plated in, in gold. Has God ever said that? No. Now, is God displeased by that? Not necessarily. God can be glorified through stained glass. God can be glorified through a beautiful church. 
but we have to ask the question, why are we doing what we're doing? And has God commanded us to do any of this? Or is it just arise out of our own imagination and our own instinctive desire for what we think matters? Those are the kinds of questions we need to be asking, but I'm afraid so often we simply do what we want to do and then we seek God's blessing after the fact. And we think that if we just emboss to the glory of God on whatever we do, we think that's okay. Well, here's what God is saying to David and what we need to see today. God says yes to a monument, but no to David's praise. God is going to show David he is about to build a monument. But it won't be the kind of monument that David is expecting. And David won't get any credit for it whatsoever. All the credit, all the glory will go to God. David wants to do something for God, and God says to David, you're trying to do something. Here's what I'm doing in you and through you. And that is the measure of an impactful life. But so often we can treat God like he can fit in a box or he can be contained by our, our systems of thought. No, God has spoken to us through his word and he wants us to obey what he has said and he wants us to humble ourselves enough to first seek his will before we ask, what do we want to do? And right now, I challenge you to ask in your life, as a husband or a wife, as a parent, as an employer or, or an employee, when it comes to your investments, any decision you make in life, are you surrendered to the will of God? Are you really trying to please God in your marriage and through your parenting, at work, at home? Do you want to do what is pleasing to God? Or are you simply trying to do more? To earn something, to prove something to someone? Remember, you don't have to prove anything to God. God knows you and he knows me better than we know ourselves. And he has shown us, I don't need you. I don't need anyone or anything. And yet, I want you. You. Not because of what you can give me. Not because of what I can get from you. But because of you. And here's how much God means that. He sent the Lord Jesus to live the most impactful life that has ever been lived. Because the Lord Jesus was and is the only person who has ever lived whose will and whose life 
was perfectly aligned with the Father. His will and his desires were so aligned with the Father. He was so full of the Holy Spirit that he was willing to be obedient to the point of death. And not a death for the sake of good people, but for sinners. For people who day in and day out allow their ego to govern their lives. For people who allow their ego to sneak into even the most seemingly holy things, even things that are done and said to the glory of God, ego still finds a way to sneak in. But Jesus died on the cross for such as these, for people like you and like me. And God vindicated him by raising him back to life to show this is a life that is pleasing to me. This is a life that is entirely surrendered. And now he calls all of us to look to Jesus and make a decision. Who is he to you? And ultimately, the measure of whether or not your life is impactful comes down to what you say about Jesus. Is he someone you respect, someone you admire, someone you may want to emulate? Or is he chief? Is he Lord? Is he master of your life? And you want to please him in everything that you say and do. If it is, then remember how he taught his disciples to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, our God who is above this world and higher than this world, hallowed be your name, holy, sacred be your name and your renown. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is that your prayer today? That is the measure of an impactful life. May we pray impactful prayers that are driven not by what we want to do for God, but by what he can and does do in us and through us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, forgive us for all of our misguided efforts to try to please you, to try to earn something, to try to prove something to someone or to you. Lord, I praise you that your love, your grace doesn't depend on any of those things, that you have called us to be your born-again, redeemed children because of what you have done in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so, Lord, we look to Jesus 
to save us. And I pray that we would all be more surrendered to your will. That we would all pray as the Lord Jesus prayed. Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And God, I pray that you would be glorified through our prayers and through our lives. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have any questions or prayer concerns or ministry needs, please reach out by email. We are so glad that you were able to join us for this service of worship. Have a wonderful week.